Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is Benjamin Graham with your news. The carnival is in town. Our field reporter spoke with a seasoned ride jock about what the fine people of Dairy have to look forward to. The man tilted his bowler to the side and said, We've got something for everyone, points and marks alike. The shies are stocked and the kazoonies are ready to turn the tip for a real Michigan bankroll. But, he added conspiratorially, I'd stay away from Horror House unless you want to get 86'd. Well, listeners, as they say in the talk, you're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. I am Joshua Khan, joined alongside Ben Graham. Long days and pleasant nights, constant readers. And CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. Thank you guys for tuning back in. This is our part two of Joyland, the conclusion of the hard crime novel, Joyland. The action-packed-ish <laughs> conclusion. The detective novel with no detective. <laughs> or where the detective is not the main character. <laughs> All right, uh, we are super excited to to get in here and, and cover uncover the uh, the things we uh, felt about this finale of this book. Uh, CM, you gonna go ahead and take lead on this one again? Yes, and I well, I was really excited to talk to you both about this. And now, <laughs> now I'm a little bit nervous. Oh, don't be. I I, I loved this book. Awesome. Uh, it took a while to get into, but uh, I really enjoyed it. Well, I feel like things started to pick up in the second half, especially compared to how kind of slow or just careful the first half was. Almost immediately. Yeah, yeah. building those characters. We pick back up with Devin washing and waxing the cars in the horror house. And at this point, we know that the doors and Pink Floyd are not enough for Devin because he needs Linda Gray. And I'd like to start with him finishing his work on the cars and going further into Horror House to look for Linda's ghost because I was really delighted to read this passage. And I love it because it's one of the things that I feel is truly a Stephen King moment. And what I mean by that is he takes a simple description of something that isn't overly terrifying or exciting in any way, but he describes it in a way that just spooks the ever-loving shit out of me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah please uh, what is this thing <laughs> the uh but what if a hand reached out yes. of the darkness and the uh, goosebumps yeah just the way that he describes he doesn't see anything nothing really happens but that really awesome spooky atmosphere is in there he actually did the same thing to me with room 1408 he's describing the way the door to the hotel room looks and I had to sleep with my light on, and I was, like, 28. Yeah, that part was really great. The part directly preceding that, is that right? The direct, the part directly before, before that? It, yeah. Do I know how words yeah, work? Proceed, okay, proceeding cool, is cool, correct. Cool, cool. Gambit. Um, <laughs> God damn <laughs> last, last episode, we left off with uh, Josh and I making our predictions right. of mm-hmm. who the murderer was. And the, the section as Devin is going in uh, to search for Linda Gray is preceded by him talking to Eddie, a- Eddie, Eddie, Parks. Uh, Eddie Parks. Eddie fucking Parks. Who does Eddie. everything in his power to rouse our suspicions. <laughs> Literally, it is, it's the first section after we picked mm-hmm. off from where we left off. And I, I started reading it 
And his his discussion with Eddie Parks made me go, take that, Josh. <laughs> oh, Stephen King's not even trying to be subtle here. It's so obviously Eddie Parks is the murderer. Oh, well. I, also, I read that and I was like, fucking Ben got me. I was so sure. The whole time, Eddie's like, oh, these are the gloves that the killer used. I never take my gloves off. I'm a dick, so I must be a killer. The whole time he's doing that, Lane Hardy is just being the most awesome, cool dude. Right. I just feel yeah. like we need to cue the ominous music. Yeah. Yeah. Lane Hardy's just he's such yeah. a cool guy. He's been a total bro this whole time. He's just Man, like a super chill dude. I just want to hang out with that guy, you know? <laughs> Get drinks with Lane Hardy. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> We're dudes. We'll be fine. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, anyway. We come to the end of Devin's workday, and he's walking along the beach back to his room when he sees Mike, Mom, and Milo trying unsuccessfully to fly a kite. I did just give Milo credit for helping with the kite. <laughs> so Devin ends up approaching them. He helps with the kite, and that kind of wins over Mike's mom a little bit. And... Their exchange was really interesting because for a 21-year-old guy, and no offense to our 21-year-old listeners, male listeners, if there are any out there yet, but he is pretty perceptive when it comes to Mike's mom, and because Mike has no boundaries, and he just wants Devin around. He's got something he really needs to tell him. We find out why shortly. But he's putting in mo- his mom in all of these really awkward positions, <laughs> and Devin is just smoothing it over each time. As someone who used to be a twenty-one-year-old male, you don't you don't need to apologize to them. <laughs> they are not smart. They are not. Devin is preternaturally cool uh, with Annie. I loved every single scene between Annie and Mike and Devin. The, the relationship, the slow build uh, of trust between Devin and Annie. The scene flying the kite was very heartwarming. It One was. of the things that Stephen King does that I, I really love is when he's getting the kite ready and he takes a look at it and he just picks it up and he sees a big Jesus on it and he has that moment and they're like, it's an inside joke. Uh-huh. I, I was like, Go on. <laughs> I am very interested to find out what this inside joke is. Don't worry about it. And then once I like, I they don't come right out and say it. They don't spell it out, but they, they give you all of the context clues to, to yeah. figure it out once you find out that uh, her dad is in a televangelist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, oh, that's good stuff. That's a great inside joke. Her dad, a character I was surprised did not play a bigger role. I, was, yes. I kept expecting him to show up and play some role in the end game. And then he is never seen in person. Kind of surprised me. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I made a note about that because he's he fulfills that character that we get so frequently with Stephen King, that religious zealot. And mm-hmm. and then when yeah. I started to hear about him, I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. Here it is. Yep. And then nothing, which mm-hmm. was a bit of a relief, actually. <laughs> Honestly, it was. Uh, I think, well, I think the, the father is just... An explanation for why they can have all this money in this big place, yeah. and Annie doesn't have a job, and mm. they and her son has all these medical problems. I think he's kind of a Deus Ex Machina to be like, "Oh, well, this is taken care of. Don't worry about it. He's mm-hmm. a big deal." He also it like it explains a lot about Annie's character, and is part of the reason why I I grew to love the character of Annie 
is that she's kind of a badass. That's true. Like, <laughs> she was grew, grew up in this religious background and was the one to say, I'm gonna go party and uh and not worry about it and it was one of the many things about annie that i was like she's so hard when we first meet her and it's because she's had to do so much of this uh raising mike on her own and uh just a really uh strong character i thought for as much as i really liked Devin and i enjoyed the story that he told this would have been really cool if it was from annie's perspective if it was her story mm. Anne, there are Annie. several characters I feel like I would rather have read this story from their perspective. <laughs> oh, uh, Devin man. is arguably the least interesting character <laughs> in this book. He's I our mean, everyman, the exactly. person we can he's, sort of place ourselves yeah, in. That's and that's true. why these char- these other characters can be so uh, so extraordinary is because he is so a guy. Like, he's <laughs> just, you know, he's a 21-year-old heartbroken guy. And we can all relate to something. He's He's a blank enough canvas that we can find something about him that we relate to. Exactly. We've all been a dog in a costume. (laughs) You're still not letting that blue thing go, are you? I just wanted to play blue. (laughs) Disney, get at me. (laughs) Okay, so Devin gets invited to join them the following morning for breakfast smoothies, at which point we get our long-awaited, beloved dark tower tie-in because mike has the sight ben i'm looking at you i wrote down that was my first note of the entire book huge letters mike has the fucking shining (laughs) i was so excited uh i loved it i love mike he's such a great character uh i I love any book or movie or anything where they have little kid that'll cuss and (laughs) that's an instant win uh for me and hey if they have the shining all the more so would one of you like to talk about this clue that mike is giving devin the thing he really wants to tell him it's not white it's not white I have a thing to say about that later. I have a bone to pick with it. But for now, I'm curious what both of you thought about that. Did that mean anything to you? Nope. I thought maybe it was an Alice band. Like, it's not white. Or it's <laughs> yeah, blue. we know it's blue. Yeah, it's blue. Yeah, yeah gotcha, buddy. It's a terrible no, clue, I, I couldn't figure it out. Okay, so anyway, we can come back to that. But Josh, you look like you have something you want to talk about. Yes, yes, I do. So uh, in this conversation... We find out what is finally wrong with Mike, that he has a a rare kind of muscular dystrophy and that he had pneumonia last year. So on top of already being sick, he went through something that, you know, wore his body out pretty much. So this is why they're there in the first place is because he can breathe in the air here and it's it's nicer here. The climate's better for him and he's trying to heal. And the thing that I thought was really neat was that when Devin makes the comment about how you know, he seemed so young yesterday flying this kite and now I look at him and he looks so old. Mm-hmm. Like when you can see that the struggle he's going through is really, really weighs on him. And I thought that was just like a neat juxtaposition to put those things back to back of seeing him old and young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his characterization is he's kind of an old soul too. Mm-hmm. Not, I'm like not just like physically looking like ragged. Like, the way he behaves because he has this second sight, because he has the shining, he has access to so much 
like adult thoughts that he uh seems well older than his years yeah it's like he's come to terms with the burden of knowledge that he has he's he's a classic stephen king the 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 wise mystic (laughs) he reminds me of jake after a couple of books yeah yeah Uh, jake who did jake also have the shining or was that just the terrible terrible movie (laughs) <laughs> so i feel like this is a whole yeah, different I discussion I, yeah we gotta we can't even we gotta move on circle from back from that. <laughs> we, but we i did do an entire episode this, on how much i hate that goddamn movie this area is also uh where the Love first time the, i guess the second time because the first time i said fuck you ben was during the eddie parks and i was like god it's fucking eddie now this is the second time i was like fuck you ben because you. there's the conversation with the quote where uh, Devin is talking about Annie and he says, a smile lit her face. It was so brilliant you could almost look how it never reached her eyes. Kingism. I God have that damn it. In my notes. <laughs> I was uh, so mad. Double underline. <laughs> I told you. It's... First, blue chambray shirt. Then <laughs> there's. <laughs> believe me, it is not going to be the last time we hear either of those phrases. <laughs> and there will be more, and I will be sure to uh, to point them out when point I remember them out every what they time. are. Oh, God, it's so rough. Uh, uh, and then, I love it. Yeah. I, I still love that phrase. <laughs> I know we talked about it the first episode that, that we talked about it. I forget which one. But I, I think that's it's it's an evocative phrase. Even though it, I, it, I still, I try to do that face in the mirror sometimes. <laughs> I try to, here, I, I'll, I'll do it for the audience. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I can't, that's I can't great for an audio. <laughs> it really, excellent it really comes through. Um, <laughs> uh, and then we have Mike talking about wanting to to go to Joyland, mm-hmm. like that, and that's that kind of brings him back to being a kid. We see him go back and forth real fast. I thought that was just like a, a cool arc. I put like a real quick arc for Mike's character to kind of establish everything about him as a personality. Mm-hmm. All right. Fade to black. Rainy afternoon. Mrs. Shoplaw's parlor. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> dramatic. And now we continue our dramatic reading. <laughs> I just wanted to try something new. I, I like yeah, it. I like it. Work no, no. I like it. <laughs> okay. So Devin, Miss Shoplaw, and Tina Ackerley, who I think is the librarian or yeah. something, mm. they are playing Scrabble. And Devin is getting all of the juicy elderly woman gossip about Anne and Mike. And that's when we kind of find out about her father. And we have that little bit of teaser where we think, oh, here we go. The, the crazy religious person. And he never comes into play or is really a part of the story at any other point. But there's another interesting development going on here, and that is Devin's conversation with Aaron, because she's been researching the Funhouse Killer mm-hmm. and has some interesting things to share that she absolutely cannot say over the phone and must shroud in mystery until she comes up in a few weekends. Because Aaron is the detective in this story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. This is the book I want to read. <laughs> I want to read this whole story from Aaron's perspective. So Devin and Mike then um, end up ganging up on Anne about Joyland, and Devin saves yet another life at Joyland. And this is where I think our favorite funhouse killer suspect theory is put to the test. So we'll talk about Eddie first, and then we'll come back to Mike and Anne and how that worked. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, go for it, Ben. Uh, This is with Eddie Parks. This part jumped out of nowhere at me. This recurring thing of Dev saving people's lives at Joyland. And I believe, if I remember correctly, the segment just starts off with, like, like I walked up to the, the haunted house or whatever, 
and Eddie Parks is on the ground just having a heart attack. He he sees him tip over, I believe. That's right. So he sees it as it happens. So uh, that was kind of jarring. And uh, Eddie Parks has uh, a heart attack, and Dev gives him CPR because of uh, his lifeguard training that also uh, gave him anachronistic... Heimlich maneuver abilities yeah. from earlier in the story, but he didn't invent CPR. And he doesn't stop there. He does something else to Eddie. Uh, yeah, the the part that pissed me off. He takes off his fucking gloves, <laughs> and there's no tattoo, uh-huh. and um, just psoriasis, just psoriasis. <laughs> and that was I, I like threw down the book, and I'm like, oh, I was so looking forward to being right. <laughs> I have one other note, I believe it's during this section, that after all this is happening and Eddie Parks is going to the hospital, there's a part where uh, Dev runs to get some of Eddie's things to bring to him, and it's described as he runs runs to his little, uh, his little shack, his doghouse in the talk, and I wrote it down in my notes, okay, I get it, Josh. I... <laughs> I it did not bother me during the first half of the book. I didn't really notice, but after you pointed it out, I just every time it happened, I was like, "Oh, okay, that it does happen a lot." Vindicated. Yeah, and so shortly after, I was proven wrong too. It was a real one-two punch for me. Yeah, that makes sense. So when you saw that there there were no tattoos, I wanna I want your impressions of that moment and i'm curious about who if anyone your suspicions then turned to well i assume i mean there are only so many characters it could be Mm -hmm. obviously it is either a stranger which would be pretty anticlimactic not really beyond king but it wouldn't be satisfying So I assumed it had to be someone at the park, uh, or I guess Miss Shoplaw, but that didn't seem likely. (laughs) Uh, She's a lady. I mean, we know it was a guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. It could be some kind of like uh, pajama, no, not pajama game. That's the wrong word. (laughs) You know, the pajama game, that Marilyn Monroe (laughs) movie where she turns out to be a dude at the end. Joyland had a real... The uh, crying game. Yeah, the crying game. Uh, No. uh, Oh, I thought you were talking about Ace Ventura Pet Detective. (laughs) Joyland turns into... You you killed Ben. Jesus Christ. Uh, that's just how funny Ace Ventura Pet Detective is. If I'm, if I'm reminded of it, I'm like, holds oh, up. Oh, not man. at all offensive now, right? Guys? right yeah, completely holds Yeesh. up. Uh, anyway, to answer your question, when I found out it wasn't Eddie, I actually immediately was like, I guess Josh was right. It must be uh, Fred Dean. Fred Dean. <laughs> Who suckers. else could it be? <laughs> so yeah, that's what I thought. Well, I, as soon as he went for the gloves, uh, I was wondering if something was going to stop him. Like if somebody was going to run up and he was going to realize he was being watched so he wouldn't do it. And that's what would keep the mystery. But the second he was successfully taking the gloves off, I was thinking it can't be Eddie because well, there's a lot of book left and revealing the cure, the killer <laughs> at this point would really be a weird choice. An interesting. How interesting would the book have been if they catch the killer in the middle 
and then it's just the rest of the book them visiting him in the hospital. <laughs> like, it's That'd a ghost be... story too, though. So true. I mean, yeah, you, true. I guess you could. Yep, we wrapped up the Milton or the killer part, and now we're gonna deal with the ghost. Yeah, I don't know. That's Which fair. turns out to be an anticlimax, in my opinion. What? We'll get there. Yeah, we'll, we'll get, get there. We'll get to that one. Devin grabs something else when he goes to Eddie's doghouse, as you called it. Yeah, I don't do- know. Dog locker? Dog In the talk, know. his little fucking <laughs> I, shack. Clearly, it doesn't matter. Clearly, it didn't sink in. So. <laughs> <laughs> so he finds a photo, and he takes that photo to Eddie. And it's Eddie and a woman. They're smiling at each other. And we think, well, I thought that we were going to get this tender moment (laughs) and insight into this character. When he sees the photo, he asks Devin why he brought it. And he calls the woman a miserable backbiting cunt. And then... (laughs) And then he sheds a single tear. (laughs) Eddie's got layers. He does. (laughs) So we find out that he had... Well, they had a kid. The kid was hit and killed by a car. And as Devin is walking away, Eddie tells him he should have let him die. He could have been with his little girl. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Like, he's a miserable old bastard for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, you know, he... He's earned it. Man, (laughs) that, that last bit of, you know, you should have let me go. I mean, as much as, like, Devin didn't like him... And wasn't treated well by him. He did the heroic thing, saving his life. Yeah, it's, and to be treated with that level of like the return of like you should have let me go. Yeah, it's it's not Eddie Parks never gets a redemption in the book. Eh? But okay, so <laughs> I'm, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. But like in the in this part, he's not like redeemed, but it explains to the core, like in such a short section. Mm-hmm. who Eddie Parks is right. because up to this point he's been a character exam- mm-hmm. essentially and uh King does an amazing it's it's a really short little section of Dev visiting him in the hospital and he does an amazing job of being like this is who uh Eddie is mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed that part we've suddenly turned him into a character we actually care about yeah in a matter of yeah. three pages and and we'll get to this part at the end but I forgot about Eddie after this. Did you guys forget about him, or was he still there? Uh, then more or less. Yeah. I mean, so it's I like, think that's okay, interesting too. Character. He was a red herring, essentially. Yeah, that's what like, I thought. I, I thought that he had fulfilled his part, and we find out later. No, there's one more thing Eddie's got to do, which we'll get to. Devin then runs into Anne in the hospital, and she's waiting for Mike to finish up an appointment. And when Mike comes out, he and Devin gang up on gang up pretty hard on Anne about Mike visiting Joyland. Do you guys think the way Devin treated Anne was fair? I mean, he didn't slap her to try to calm her down or anything. But... <laughs> yeah, this was written <laughs> 40 years after Carrie, so there was minimal of women slapping it, it's i don't know i thought this one scene was weird weirdly intense and there's not much build up to it i feel like in a way part of that was excused by mike's gift but for the reader that makes more sense but for the characters i didn't know if that quite worked for me i felt like this was a scene where their relationship is still very new with devon and annie and this seemed to be like the first time he was approaching her as an equal. Mm-hmm. And that's what I thought this scene was trying to accomplish. That comfortable feeling he had is not accurate. Their relationship is not to this point. <laughs> yeah. And this was kind of her taking him down a peg. Maybe that's what I was trying to express is like up to this. Devin. I like Devin. He's, he's a good character. 
he's kind of a wiener. <laughs> and this this um standing up for himself came as a bit of a surprise and I'm like, oh. Wait a minute. So it, by that logic, are we supporting his his idea earlier with Wendy that he should have been more of a dick and they would have slept together? Oh, God. <laughs> ben? <laughs> hey, ben? The look on your face. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. No, not fair. <laughs> no, it was, it's the fact that it is, it's been so hot and cold between them mm-hmm. with Annie not wanting to be around. Then when Mike gets a full night's sleep because he had so much fun, she comes around to him a little bit. But that relationship is still, she doesn't want new people coming in. She wants, she's, she wants to hold on so tight, uh, which we talk about, they talk about later, that if they don't do anything, they won't do anything for the last time. The, the last fun time. Right. Yeah, if so, she right. postpones that, Mike won't die. I mean, exactly. she knows he will, but it's like that desperation, that mother's grief. Somehow this will keep that inevitable thing from happening. Yeah, and Devin coming into their lives puts all of that at risk mm-hmm. for her. So her her irrational responses and the jumps to anger and the escalations make some sort of sense in this scene because mm-hmm. he's really for the first time kind of pushing back and she's like nope <laughs> not doing that you, this is your fault you did this so then she relents she gives in and they are going to go to joyland and mike and devon continue to have some interesting conversations about mike's abilities or insights and he's telling him that linda gray you know wants to leave and he keeps saying it's not white which we already that still means nothing to me at this point. It's not white. Devin then talks to Lane because he's like, oh, shit, I hope I can actually do this thing. I promised them I could do <laughs> And he Lane tells him to wait until the paper comes out. Mm. And I thought Devin's reaction to that was interesting. He's telling him to talk to Fred after um, the paper comes out about him saving another life at Joyland. And Devin's like, "Uh, no, I don't I don't want anything to do with that. And he's like, do you want to take them to the park? Well, Fred's going to be way more amicable to your desires if you do that. Lane essentially uh, carnies the newspaper Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, into being like, have I got a story for you? Well, I I thought that was it it was a really good idea. Mm -hmm. Lane had a very good point. That's if you're going to ask for something, you might as well become ingratiated. That's how you got the job here is you did something and Mr. Easterbrook gave you a favor to call in. Mm -hmm. So... This is how you get things done. But did you guys notice here, this seemed like the first time Devin was frustrated or put off by Lane in any way? I literally did not notice. Okay. No. Anything, uh, anything about Lane at any point, the entire book, <laughs> all I thought was, man, what a cool guy. Uh, see, this guy knows what's up. I have a surprise for you guys at the end. Oh, okay. I can't, I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> I, I hope Lane gets, like, to own the park after, <laughs> after Fred gets sent to jail. Right. I hope that happens. Exactly. That'd be really cool. Ben didn't finish reading the book. <laughs> I forgot. All right, so Fred, of course, says yes, as long as Lane is going to be around to help them out with everything. Between that time, though, Aaron and Tom come to town. And Aaron brings Devin a briefcase of different facts about the Funhouse killer murders. And she's a pretty awesome detective. She's making connections that the police never made. 
why they had to go into Joyland to have this conversation. I, I, was it to That's... further the plot or did I miss something? I don't know. Yeah, you would think uh, they, they'd be at Miss Shoplaws or... A cafe. Anywhere other than inexplicably uh, the closed park. I, I mean, I guess it makes sense. Aaron's returning mm-hmm. to visit the park as much as Dev. Like, she's okay. an alumni. I'll buy that. Uh, but yeah, why why they didn't be like, hey, let's go get lunch at, at somewhere. Mm-hmm. At, at literally any out. other place. <laughs> yeah. Why do we have to come to the park to have to, this To the scene of the crime and, and look at it under... Maybe they wanted to show Linda Gray. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> just take it to the... Hey, look, we're trying. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're trying, we're man. This. I have... I, I don't know if this would be interesting to go through or not. You guys can kind of tell me what you think. But I have the breakdown of the Funhouse Killer Facts from Aaron. Yeah, let's cover those. Because I also thought it was very interesting that Aaron was able to pull all of this information that the police never put together. And as I'm as she was going through the information, I was like, I feel like this should have been done by the police. This seems like they're they're pretty straightforward connections. I think that's excused, though, by the fact that it was murders occurring across state lines. So also earlier in the book, he like they say that the funhouse killer killed a bunch of people. I don't think that she's like, look, he, he, he killed more than one person. She didn't break the news story that somebody was killing people at carnivals. But given the information she pulls out, mm-hmm. narrowing down the spot, I don't know how the police, with the resources they have, yeah. could not have solved this case, as she almost solves it herself. So there are four, possibly five murders that we know of. And the first was Delight Mowbray from Georgia, white, 21 years old. And a few days before she was killed, she told her friends about a new older man she was seeing. Her body was found in a swamp on August 31st, 1961, with her throat cut. The second, Claudine Sharp, North Carolina, white, 23 years old. Although she didn't mention a new older boyfriend to her friends, she was found at a theater with her throat cut and a bloody shirt and gloves on the scene on August 2nd, 1963. Eyewitnesses put her there with an older man. Third, Eva Longbottom, who does not match the profile of the other victims, nor was she killed in the same way. And I agree with Aaron on this one, so we're not going to count her. So true number Jeez. three. Mm-hmm. Actually killed with the Cruciata's curse. <laughs> uh, her parents are still in the infirmary insane from... <laughs> Never mind. That's a different podcast, guys. Okay, third victim, Darlene Stomacher. Stomnacher? I don't know how to say yeah. that. Aaron would yell at me, too, because she yelled at Devin for messing it up. <laughs> From North Carolina, white, 19 years old, she disappeared on June 29th, 1967, and was found a few days later with her throat cut. And then Linda Gray makes four. So Aaron also shares that Manly Wellman's show of 1,000 Wonders was in town around the time of the first few murders before it went out of business, and the county fair at the time of the true third murder. Yes, Ben. (laughs) I'm sorry. Reading it, it didn't hit me, but hearing... The phrase manly wellman out loud uh, just struck me funny. Yeah. I apologize <laughs> to laugh during your murder investigation. <laughs> so disrespectful, Ben. <laughs> These call are me, dead women. Call me manly wellman. From now on. <laughs> 
So there's something about these photos that bother Devin, but he can't put his finger on it, and no doubt he'll figure it out at a crucial last moment. And they run into our other red herring, Fred Dean, who advises Devin that he better bring Mike and Anne on Tuesday because there's a big storm coming in. And when Fred Dean comes in and catches them with all these files spread out, that was once again the other point that I full on was like, fuck you, Josh. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Of course it's Fred now. Red herring number two. The guys are adorable. Red, <laughs> red I was, yeah, that down. scene happened and I was all in. I was like, I'm 100% right. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk about Joyland. Beautiful, magical day that Devin and Mike and Anne spend at Joyland. I am a, a, a sucker for, I like, d- don't tell anyone, listen to <laughs> but I am the biggest, like, softy in the world. I will cry at the drop of a hat. Oh my god, have you guys, do you guys watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the wedding yeah. episode? Oh my god, I cried. Anyway, that's irrelevant, but there's <laughs> this, uh, this part uh, of the book where Mike and Annie come and visit Joyland, and Fred Dean is there in full Willy Wonka mode. Doing straight up magic. Such a badass. I'm just kept thinking, (laughs) oh man, it's going to be really shocking when he murders Mike or something. (laughs) Does not happen. But it's, they, they give them the VIP treatment. They ride all over the rides. And I wrote down this one phrase that near this end of this section, Dev is watching Mike ride one of the rides and Annie watching Mike with tears in her eyes. And he is looking back at it as our narrator. And he says, I go back to it. If only to remind myself that life isn't always a butcher's game. Sometimes the prizes are real. Sometimes they're precious. I had to put the book down and walk away because I was bawling. Like, that got me. Yeah, it was very touching the whole way through. And I very much anticipated that I was, again, right about Fred Dean because he was such a major part of Mm -hmm. that. And I was like, all right, here's what they're doing there. They're bringing this character that we've kind of sprinkled in throughout the beginning now we're making him a big part of the finale so now it's gonna sink in he's gonna take this shot but the lengths they go to because it's basically just fred and lane Mm -hmm. that are going from one thing to the next changing costumes Mm. and uh putting all this together and just so going so far above and beyond to make this the best day of mike's life and every bit of it was just so touching and again it's we've talked about it before about this book that you forget that there's a crime involved because so much of it we're reading Devin's memoir basically mm-hmm. and this was another one of those scenes where the the stakes of everything else were completely gone for me and I was so dialed in on this relationship and this story and was so happy that they were able to convince Annie that we should do this and to see everybody go so above and beyond was just, yeah, really heartfelt, and I loved it. If it is a last fun time, it is a really good one. Mm-hmm. And Mike gets to ride Charlie the Choo Choo, right? 
Right? Yeah. Am I stretching it too much? Is that too much? Wait, do they, do they, <laughs> do they call it Charlie the no, Choo Choo at all? Okay, because no. literally you just said that and I got goosebumps. I, I was like, <laughs> did I fucking miss that? <laughs> Holy shit. I am looking for connections where there probably are none. Oh, another thing that we need to mention, Devin, okay, so Devin wears a fur for the last time. That's oh like God. beautiful. Oh, go, do you want to <laughs> uh, That, that all... The other line is the Devin hugging Mike and whispering in Devin's ear while he's wearing the fur. You make a great Howie, Dev. And I was like, he knows because he's magic. I loved it. So Annie shows Devin her sniping skills at Annie Oakley's shooting gallery. That won't come into play later, I'm sure. That foreshadowing. Uh, that was super fun, it. though, like giving her like the mm-hmm. 10 pellets and she yeah. fires and then she looks at the gun and she figures out, all right, this is what it's off. Reloads and then just bam, 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 bam. Yeah, yeah. that was awesome. I was like, well, she's even more of a badass. All right. And then it happens. The big it. <laughs> oh, we're finally gonna. We're finally going to meet the ghost. We're finally something supernatural is going to happen. And a, and a door opens. Oh, come come on. <laughs> was I the only one that was kind of like well, that's, disappointed? That's like, not what it's about. Though. I was so confused. Okay. I, <laughs> because I also, I expected a bigger spectacle. If I expected yeah. that to be the start of something, not the yes, all of something. Exactly. Well, explain what, what happens. So the they're going past the, the haunted house and the gate at the end of the ride opens and one of the cars comes out. Just comes out, slows to a stop, mm-hmm. and in that car is a headband. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the blue Alice the band. The blue Alice band Although, is sitting in this car. If if we were given the story from Mike's perspective, that would have been a completely different moment because oh, yeah. Mike sees Linda Gray and hears her, and she thinks them. Devin sees nothing, mm-hmm. hears nothing. Yeah, which is kind of interesting, actually. Now that I think about it. I, I'm changing my mind on this on the spot. Because throughout the whole book, Devin, the reason he stays around secretly in his heart of hearts is he wants to see Linda Gray. Mm -hmm. And the entire book, he never gets that. He does not get uh, what he wants, but... It's what he thinks he needs, but it's not. It's a a metaphor. Mm -hmm. Because earlier in the book, I, I had a note... It was during the section when Aaron and Tom come to visit and they're hanging out and no, it's after he calls Ellen, not is it Aaron or Ellen. Aaron. Aaron. I wrote down Ellen. You're great I am names. Really good so names. bad at notes, you guys. <laughs> he has this moment where he's jealous of Tom and he says, he, oh, he talks about how he's jealous of Tom for seeing Linda. But it's right after this long conversation with Aaron and like thinking about how happy her and Tom get to be. So I really think that like Linda Gray is this stand in for he thinks that's what he wants. But what he actually wants is to be happy again, to be over what's her face Mm -hmm. and to find uh, and be able to love again. Yeah. And so he never gets to see Linda Gray. But earlier in the day at Joyland, he does kiss Annie, which 
is you know his true motivation even if he doesn't recognize foxy it. mommy let's do that right. let's bring foxy back and linda gray tells Devin, even though he can't hear her to be careful did that give anything away for you guys when you read that no well once again like josh said i was expecting action sequence i was expecting something was going to happen and the killer would be revealed, and they would be chased into the haunted house, and that would be the big climactic end of the book. So I guess be careful. I was expecting, I don't know, Fred Dean to be like, "I have a knife now," and I, I don't he's know magic. He just abracadabra's yeah. <laughs> pulls it out of his ear, and um, yeah. Well, uh, if things had ended there, Devin would not have lost his virginity. To Anne later that day, which was all very lovely. <laughs> if, if you guys want to talk about that in detail, knock well, yourselves the, out. <laughs> the massive eye roll that you just did, uh, we, we can we can just realize. move past it. I, okay, a there's standard Stephen thing. Thing. Okay. There's I, one thing I really need to say about this. Okay, and that was one how mesmerized that he was that her bra matched her shorts was it like whatever whatever else was she was like her bra matched she has boobs yeah he was like just like real like oh boy they do that and then <laughs> the the fact that she was like this is a one night only deal like this is this is mm -hmm. it well we're never gonna talk about this but if you want to this is happening and then made a big deal about it it was one night but three times <laughs> and only two of them were bad <laughs> <laughs> I, that's my summary of how i imagine that's that, perfect that's so funny Devin, you're telling us this story you're the narrator you be unreliable this I time was a stud. Why? Just one just... time you, you had the opportunity to be like it went all night it was like no <laughs> nope I was bad at sex. <laughs> Thanks for telling the truth in your memoir, man. But come on. I mean, arguably, get... probably one of the least important parts. Yeah, absolutely. Beyond establishing. And Stephen King also has. Uh, sex is always important in one way or another to. Connect the, people. Yeah, to connect people. Mm -hmm. He often uses that as a connector, be it good or bad. Uh, we see it used in terrible ways during Carrie, mm -hmm. but in this way we see that they have this moment and that permanently ties them together, even though their love of Mike also does that. But this commit having this one night and this action binds them together for life. And he often uses that as uh, that symbolism of like, this is the moment these two people mm -hmm irrevocably are in each other's lives. Yeah, but what's really cool about this the scene though is that she does end up opening up about her father and her own fears mm -hmm. and she shares her despair over her belief that there's no life after death and if she could believe like her father she would know that she would someday be reunited with Mike but she knows that it's all just nothing, oblivion so when Mike is gone, he's gone, that's it, that's all she got and that kind of touched me and brings up a whole ass load of theological questions mm -hmm. because this is a world where we know for a fact ghosts are real what does that translate well, to the afterlife and that's what Devin, without telling her mm -hmm. brings up you know he said mike knows it's more than oblivion yeah 
And I feel like that conversation is smarter than I am. <laughs> like, I'd love to touch on like, oh, what in a world where there's definitely an afterlife, what could that possibly mean for uh, the theological aspects of the, of the unit? I, I don't know. There's ghosts, guys. There, there are ghosts. And Mike, that's also why Mike isn't afraid. Like, right. yes, he is aware he is sick. He is aware that he is not going to live much, much longer. He's not, he doesn't have 10 to 15 years left, but he's also not worried about it. Yeah. Go, well, go then. There are other worlds than these. Oh, God, you beat me God to it. damn it, Ben. In <laughs> uh, thinking about how Linda's ghost was set free, does that make you guys think all the other people who claimed to see her were kind of dicks? All she wanted was to be shown the door and she was good. <laughs> <laughs> and then are ghosts dumb she just stood there like she didn't have very dumb. far to go <laughs> they, that, everyone my favorite question i've ever been asked. are ghosts dumb <laughs> this is just like i imagine that it's uh so they, they always talk about how her how her arms are out mm. uh what nobody tells you is that while her arms are out, she's pointing and she's looking like, quizzically, like, like she's saying, "Uh, because I, because it's dark in here, guys. <laughs> the lights are off when I'm out. So, uh, do I, do I take a left? Is that she's asking for directions? Right, yeah. right. And she's begging for those directions. No one wants to give them to her. Uh, Thanks, Devin, Tom. <laughs> so smart. You know, because men don't ask for directions, so that's <laughs> she's only power. asking dudes for. I don't think so, Tim. <laughs> Tim." Never mind. <laughs> Don't worry about Timely it. Timely home improvement reference. Oh, I uh, thought you were misremembering Tom's name is Tom. <laughs> I have it written in my notes. <laughs> Ellen and Tim are very happy. Uh, what is it, Billy, Bobby? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, my okay. God. Devin is leaving, and he passes a strip mall, and he comments that he didn't give the shop so much as a glance as he was driving back, which is, he says is proof that he didn't have the gift. Meant nothing. I was like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> I read what? that sentence I had to read it over. Six times. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, did it mean it's anything? a little it, later. Did, oh, d- did oh, it? Yeah, Lane, because Lane, no Lane is there. Oh, why, why is Lane there? That's because where the, he, calls he calls him from that from... payphone. But the killer calls him from that payphone. <gasps> ben, I have <laughs> oh. some bad news. <laughs> You're so sweet. I stopped reading at that point. <laughs> you started bawling and you put the book down and walked away. <laughs> Devin goes to bed. He wakes up in the middle of the night because of storm, and. <laughs> Uh, now, presumably because he's had sex, this allows his mind to start functioning and he begins to put all these pieces together. The things he kept looking at the photos before and there's something that was nagging at him, but he couldn't figure it out. And now he can see it. So he gets dressed. The phone rings. Dun, dun, dun. Thank you, Josh. You're welcome. So were you guys surprised to find out who was on the other end? I well, we didn't find out who was on the other end during Until, this conversation. Yeah. Well, he, he did gets... write the name down. Like, the reader didn't get it, but he wrote a but note he, to Mrs. Yeah. Shoplaw, which I thought Just was smart. Yeah. Although I also think, in addition to that note, he should have run out of the house screaming, Mrs. Shoplaw, so that she would wake up and see it before he was dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he makes a point of, like, not waking her up. He, yeah. like, closes her door so the light won't wake her up. And then he figures out who the murderer is, and he's like, oh, but she's sleeping. Just wake her up, you mm-hmm. dummy. Uh, have her run and call the police. Like mm-hmm. I do, my I highlighted my favorite line, my favorite back and forth in this phone conversation. 
because it, it again goes back to the thing that drives me nuts about Devin's older self writing this book. He says, because Devin says that he can't prove it because they've had the discussion. You know who I am. You know what I've done. And he says, but I can't prove it. And the voice responds, probably not, but it would only be a matter of time. You can't unring the bell. Do you know that old saying? And his response is, sure, sure. I didn't. But at the moment, I would have agreed with him if he'd declared that Bobby Rydell, and in parentheses, a yearly performer at Joyland, was president. Why? Why? Why is that? Why is that the? You could have told me that literally that any example. Mm-hmm. No parentheticals needed. John Bon Jovi was the first man on the moon. Sure, cool. I get that. These are like this extreme, but like to use somebody who's only a reference. Who has not been brought not up in the, book in the book at all. Ever. Which is why the parentheticals needed. <laughs> I, I imagine old Devin writes it and is like, clever. <laughs> and then his editor sends it back and is like, like who the fuck is Bobby Rydell? And he's like, I'll fix that. My, his editor meant change the analogy, but he just wrote down a yearly performer at Joyland. It, it's a technique. Save, send, gone. <laughs> what did you guys... Okay, were you surprised? What did... I just want to know what you thought because I really liked Lane Hardy. Then again, all the women love Lane Hardy. I, I was surprised, which is in itself surprising because like I said, <laughs> there were only like three people it could have been. <laughs> and uh, I, I was still like, holy shit, I can't believe... There was leading up to that. You're like, okay, it's Fred or Lane. It has to be. Yeah, I was dead set that it was Fred. I, I wouldn't if I put all my eggs in that basket, and all the way until the end, it really could have been. And mm-hmm. then when it was Lane, I, my first thought was, no. Yeah, it was. I was so bummed. Yeah. Let's talk about the final showdown, which takes place on the Carolina Spin. Let's Before talk about... we get to that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Can yeah. we talk about the big clue that made Devin? figure it out oh oh yeah also, it's not white we we, uh, we also um didn't go over the fact that uh we didn't even talk about the tattoo oh yeah sorry because the, the tattoo I, is fair. <laughs> okay moving on i have yeah okay so he see he's looking at the photos and he notices that in the photo the killer keeps flipping his hat back and forth which is something that lane does constantly and they he and aaron aaron brings up that the tattoo is running so it's a fake tattoo yeah I and I'm sorry I didn't get to that because I actually had saved I had gone back through the book to look for clues and I got an I have like a specific number of clues I feel like there are that all point to Lane. Okay, cool. Because <laughs> you guys do so much more work in this podcast than I do. <laughs> I read it once and I'm like, yeah, that was good. Yeah, that covers it. That being the definitive thing. Oh, the hat back and forth must be Lane. Yeah, and that and that does. It's like, oh, okay, that that's the clue. That's how he figures it out. But I just want. Imagine in real life, you know someone who always wears a hat and his thing, the thing that when you think of this person, it's just him tipping his hat back and forth. So much so that it is a distinctive character trait. (laughs) I would want to hit that guy. (laughs) I had never, and when it comes up throughout the book, it'll be like in the middle of a conversation, he tilts his hat to the side, all cocky-like. And I'm like, oh, what a cool move. But it it didn't occur to me until the end that he must be doing this like 
three or four times a conversation. <laughs> and he's like, every sentence he makes, he's like, hey, how you doing there, tip? Hey, I think you should go get a Coney dog, tip. And it's like, Jesus Christ, Wayne, chill out with the hat. Ben, for one day, I want you to wear a hat and every other sentence, tip it. And see I, how mad you I get will, and how many people you murder in a fun I, house. No, I will guarantee I will be beaten to death by someone <laughs> by the end of the day. <laughs> knock it off! What do you guys think of Lane's pitch as he's forcing Devin onto the ride? It's apply some strain and use your brain up the ramp, champ. <laughs> I love that he, he, he just continues rhyming. Yeah, here's my question. What the fuck is Lane's plan? Murder-suicide? Yeah, Dev says, he's. oh, he must be, like, he's going to shoot me and then kill himself. Yep. Why? Because Lane says, he's like, I can disappear. Lane's not my real yeah, but name. He, throw, he has Devin throw the, there's like a, a remote that's uh -huh. controlling the spin. That's how they get on it and then it moves. Yup. And he has Why? Devin throw that over the side. Why? He's Why? crazy, Ben. <laughs> he has lost his mind. Yeah. Well, the, the whole thing with the, the Alice band has like thrown him so hard because that's his whole phone conversation is like, I don't know how you did that, but I know you did it, which means you know it's me, which we've got to say the timing is pretty perfect mm -hmm. that he didn't get the phone call till just after he'd figured it out. Imagine if that phone call had woken Devin up and he hadn't had the time <laughs> like, and would have authentically huh? been like, no, I, I, I literally don't know instead of having just figured it out. Yeah. Real timing issue right there. <laughs> that's yeah. true. But I imagining that that Alice band just completely mm, I he guess. thought he was totally fine and then he sees that as something that was thrown in his face yeah being like i've yeah. got you figured out yeah i that makes sense he and he's a crazy person he's a serial killer blah 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 but the whole end that's all i kept thinking is like okay so now they're on the the carolina spin what what's and, the plan here and man? i don't think that lane put it past devon to not write down his name or leave a note or say something to shoot him in the that parking would, lot that would put him <laughs> in that place like i i think that he's gets he's gonna get more satisfaction out of luring devin into the scenario but he okay already knows devin might call the cops he might leave his name he i think he at this point feels trapped and, it, and it's a very dramatic uh scene can, yeah like, can we talk about his death because you guys i had a nightmare the, the night i finished the book and i woke up in the middle of the night and all i can remember from it is the carolina spin really it was real intense was that graphic. whole that whole scene because unlike any other book or movie where usually it's you know they the hero takes the moment or uh you know makes them he does like on purpose make him angry mm. to kind of throw him off but he constantly is saying how he can't think straight because he is terrified mm -hmm. because this can go the other way in an instant because he is trapped on this ride. The man's got a gun and, and there's nothing he can do about yeah, it. Yeah, pretty much guaranteed yeah. he was dead, if not for. And he had to rescue him. Yeah, uh, at the very top of the Carolina spin. There's with a, the storm. With the storm <laughs> going. It's very cinematic. I won't get, I won't argue that. It's just a dumb plan. But yeah, right at the top, uh, there's there's a crack of a gunshot, and he looks, and Lane has a bullet, just dead center 
dead center of his face and he falls through his nose right because his nose is gone and like the top uh, of his teeth are gone mm -hmm. i was like wait that's a nice graphic end because he tries to talk and like chokes on his teeth and and then this brings us back to eddie because we find out that Anne only knew to go help devon because eddie died that night fucking eddie parks yep and his ghost appeared to mike and he what did he say uh the kiddo needs your help or something he didn't even call him by his name but mike knew yeah and so she she came to his rescue i thought that i thought it was cool i liked it i I liked that a lot uh because they said he asks mike you know did linda gray tell you and he's like that's what i would have assumed linda gray's gone like she she's out of here but yeah this old man that called Mm -hmm. you kiddo and said you needed help and i was like well shit so yeah, it, it what cool. I said earlier, he does get his redemption. Yeah, he uh, Eddie Parks ends up saving the day. And is it because Devin visited him because he brought him the photo? We don't know. And I like that we don't know. Yeah, it's like we don't have to know everything. So as we're wrapping up here, can I bring up two points? And the first is why didn't Roz know? I mean, Lane tells <laughs> yeah, Devin. I mean- the first day that they meet that he's never let her read his palm, but she told Devin things without reading his, and she's been working with this guy, so... Yeah, it, well, she doesn't really have... Literally everything she said to Devin came true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It was 100%. That is true. <laughs> and it's but pretty he... well established that her, like, her tent is right next to the spin. They, like, basically established that her and Lane are, like, best friends. And they're the ones that who pulled Devin aside, point. too. I I had never thought of that, but yeah, because he uh, Devin says, you know, uh, well, I don't know if she had the ability like Mike did, but she did have that classic like uh, mm-hmm. Carney ability to read people and to infer information mm-hmm. from that. And yeah, there's <laughs> not a scene in the book I don't think where Roz isn't hanging out with Lane. I, I never even yeah. thought of that. Way to go, idiot. <laughs> oh, and I, I forgot. I was I was pissed about the, the clue that it's not white thing because Mike was referring. I mean, he didn't know what he was referring to, but it mm. ended up being his hair because Lane had dyed his hair. And his dye is blonde. coming off. And all I could think was, have you not heard of permanent hair dye? There's hair dye that will not come out in a storm down your neck. It's the 70s. The, maybe he just... It was all like uh, skeptical shoe, face. <laughs> shoe black. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. How? Okay, so I found 18 what I think are clues throughout the Jesus. book. Okay, that's counting all the the cap tilts. Without, <laughs> without no, it, well, it, it mentions that I didn't realize that like the whole book mm. that's in there. Oh, so yeah. if you don't count those, or you count like one or two or something, mm. it's probably about half that. But he does tilt his cap all the time mm. he does reference taking out girls 10 years younger than him he walks away when Roz starts talking to Devin about how it's a girl you know when he sh- they're telling Devin he needs to eat he's kind of like piss off Roz and walks away <laughs> and as uh, Aaron and Devin are talking about the killer there's just a line that talks about the wind through the struts of the spin and then of course Devin notices the white strands of hair so yeah. that's what's not white yeah because he thought <laughs> that, it was like that's white why i was upset paint. about that earlier <laughs> but, but it is white well it's like blonde right but he so thought he should have said it's, it's not it's not black, black because it is white so why is it's which leads not... us back to our question are ghosts dumb <laughs> <laughs> and i believe we've had, we found our answer here i cannot wrapping believe up that's what it is 
pertaining to. <laughs> yeah, because it, it's so and it's a weird. Clue. He keeps coming back to that. It's not white. What do you mean, Mike? Uh, I don't know. All right. Unless you guys have anything else you need to get in, I do have one more thing okay. that I really liked uh, at the at the end of the book. The way he summarizes all of his his book this whole year, and he says, "This was the year I got my damn heart broke. The year I lost my virginity." The year I saved a nice little girl from choking and a fairly nasty old man from dying of a heart attack. The first one, at least. The year a madman almost killed me on a Ferris wheel. The year I wanted to see a ghost and didn't. Although, I guess at least one saw me. That was also the year I learned to talk a secret language and how to dance the hokey pokey in a dog costume. (laughs) The year I discovered that there are worse things than losing a girl. That's sweet. It is, but not everything on that list is on the same level. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Ben. How many blue chambray shirts? I really liked this book. I did not expect to, especially, like, it was tough getting into. But once I did, it really sucked me in. And um, for uh, maybe being a little slow starting, I'm going to go ahead and give it four out of five blue chambray shirts. (laughs) Josh? I will also give it four. It would be five if it were not for how angry I am (laughs) at Devin's writing that just so many of those things drive me so nuts that I I I can't all in good conscience give it a five. (laughs) I've mentioned this before. I'm giving it five. (laughs) Of course you are! (laughs) I like hard-boiled fiction, crime novels. The story and the characters were really provoking and I had a lot of emotion while reading about him, and I really did not want Lane to be the killer. And this story has kind of stuck with me over the years. Like, so many in his universe, the characters now feel like they are a part of me, and they live inside me somewhere and kind of pop out every once in a while. I That sounds really creepy. <laughs> I didn't mean it to be. So, yeah, five. Perfect. <laughs> Love it. ZM, uh, if you'd like to introduce the people to our next book, yeah, we are reading the dark half, guys. The dark half. Be excited. I'm so it's, jazzed about this. I've cool. heard so many good things. Another book, big surprise, I haven't read it. And so I'm just so excited. So we're reading through chapter 16. So page 314 is where you got to stop. It is about a author named Thad Beaumont. Yes. Am I pronouncing that? Thaddeus right? Beaumont. Yep. And he has been writing under a pseudonym, George Stark. He's written his own books, but he has this... George Stark, that is like this number one best-selling author. He writes these really, as I understand it, raunchy crime novels. Mm -hmm. He decides that he is going to kill George. Which has some interesting parallels to King's (laughs) actual life, which I'm so excited to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, so he decides to kill George, and it's when he makes that decision that things start getting really, really interesting in his life. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I I love this book. Very excited to get started with it um, in our next episode. So thank you guys for listening. For CM Alexander and Manly Wellman, I am Joshua (laughs) Kahn. Good night, everyone. Hey, everyone. CM Alexander here. Join us for our next episode where we explore the first 16 chapters of The Dark Half. Since we don't have an episode 3 for you this time, because there's no movie, yet, we've included a bonus news story at the end of this outro, so stay tuned. 
As always, send us your comments on Facebook and Instagram at Dairy Public Radio or on Twitter at Dairy Public. We may use your comments or give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. Send any questions, comments, or complaints, minus the complaints, to us at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. And please subscribe and review us. We certainly appreciate it. Until next time, goodbye, readers. And remember, the last good time always comes. And when you see the darkness creeping toward you, hold on to what is bright and good. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is Joshua Kahn with your news. Joyland Theme Park has issued a missing persons report for Linda Gray. Famously murdered in the theme park years ago, the haunting attracted visitors from all over the country. The ghost seems to have left the attraction and is missed by the staff. So, listeners, if you come across an ethereal woman in a blue Alice band, holding her hands out as if asking for directions, please point her to North Carolina. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio.